Women Up Radio, designed to facilitate women's empowerment, improve your career, develop your talents, incorporate your passions, achieve fulfillment and success. Hello, this is Women Up Radio, supporting Empower Women. And today we're talking about women in public leadership and the evolution of local government. I'm joined in the studio by my guest, Dr. Jane Roberts, who has an extensive background in local government and in health. Councillor for the London Borough of Camden for 16 years, council leader from 2000 until 2005, Jane was appointed DBE in 2004 for services to local government. Now chair of the think tank NLGN, which is the new local government network, Jane started her career as a medical doctor and she worked for many years as a hospital consultant in child and adolescent psychiatry. So a fabulous career, very interesting. Welcome to the programme, Jane. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jane, you've done so much already and had a great impact on change and evolution for the better. But can you tell us, how did you move from medicine to local government leadership? Because it's really quite a different area. Okay, before I come to that, because actually in a funny kind of way, I didn't move from medicine to, I did both simultaneously. Yeah, can I just make a comment Mm -hmm. about the nature of leadership? I'm thinking back particularly to my time at Camden, which was some time ago now, but it was very formative and it was an enormous honour and privilege. Um, it was exasperating, it was fun, it was <laughs> unfunded, just all, all of those things. But I suppose one of the things I just did want to start off by saying is that the nature of leadership mm-hmm. um, is inevitably um, shared and, and distributed. And that was absolutely the case in Camden. So I was very fortunate to be leader at that particular time. But I had a fabulous group of, 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 of councillors in my, my cabinet. We had really good officers, senior officers, middle ranking and ju- junior officers. And, you know, it's, it's very easy, I think, when one looks at leaders, and I know that now, particularly doing some academic work in leadership, is to focus on the individual. And individuals can make a difference, there's no doubt about that. But actually, they operate within an environment, and part of the job of leadership is to bring other people in so that we're, we're all in this together. Well, that's an unfortunate phrase, isn't it? But <laughs> nowadays, <laughs> but it is very much about bringing other people in, uh, and so that we're all jointly seeking the same sort of a goal. And yes. I just think it's important to stress that. Yes, no, very true. And I think that is definitely the mark of a true leader when you really do bring everybody in and everybody you try and help everybody progress so that it's better for all unfortunately there seem to be too many leaders these days that it's all me 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 um which i can't stand it drives me crazy so it's lovely to hear you start with that um okay so yes medicine and local government how did you manage to do both Right. Well, well, just to explain. So I, so as a teenager, I I wanted to be a doctor, which mm-hmm. therefore I had to read medicine. I don't think I really knew what doctors properly did, <laughs> uh, but I was always really interested in politics. So I've always yeah. had this kind of trend track, and you know, a leopard doesn't change his spots. And I think, looking back, I haven't much either. Um, <laughs> 
So I did do medicine and I first of all trained as a paediatrician or, or um, did my, my first tra- training as a paediatrician and worked in child health. Yeah. And then got more interested in the psychological aspects of things. So I had to train in adult psychiatry before then um, doing child psychiatry. But, you know, throughout I had always been interested in politics yeah. and it really went away. Although as a junior doctor, you didn't sleep very much, particularly in those days. Yeah. So yeah. it didn't allow much time to go to meetings or, 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 or of any um, nature, really. Yeah. Um, but the and then I became pregnant uh, in 1989, which was planned pregnancy, yes. and withdrew from the shortlist uh, of the council's selections at that time. And as it turned out, it's a long story, but as as it turned out, um, that message hadn't been conveyed, and I was shortlisted for what was then seen as a safe Labour seat, and yes. I couldn't quite bring myself to withdraw. And I was very <laughs> I was very clear this was going to be for one term, four years, that is. I have a baby. I was doing an MSc at the time at the Tavistock Clinic, uh, and it would be for one term. Now, you know, what often happens in local government, and I would really stress this to your your listeners, particularly women, is, of course, endlessly fascinating, interesting. Um, I loved it. And so at the end of the four years, actually... I stood again and stood again, and then it came to 1998, and I wanted to see what it would be like, you know, under a Labour government, when actually there's more... So, to cut a long story short, <laughs> completely unplanned, I would have been founded 10 years after becoming a council in 1990, I, I, I was elected leader. And throughout all that time... Um, well, I, w- I went part-time, so I was working... I was working full-time as a paediatrician and child psychiatrist, and then I got my... Uh, consultant job around 93 I think it was yeah and I had worked part-time after the birth of my son Uh, and I do feel very strongly actually and perhaps you can talk about this more in a while but I do feel very strongly that being a councillor even a leading council even a leader it is entirely possible to do it uh, part-time because remember you are non-executive you're not running the show you have you know reasonably played officers to do precisely that and I think there's great value in having uh, a world outside yes. now that's a popular view it's a minority view at the moment because actually the trend is going going, going the other way and the other thing I would say it does absolutely depend on there being adequate support um, uh, for you as a councillor a senior councillor in order to make that happen and I was yeah. very fortunate that in Camden actually I was well supported we had good child care uh, there was the uh, meetings were held in the evening and of course you can change that around and fun, funnily enough as leader it was easier than when I was less senior in the sense that if anybody wanted to have a meeting with me then actually you know I could say well I'm afraid I can't make that time but I can, <laughs> I, but, but I can make this time. Yes. I often knew that m- Mondays from three o'clock to five thirty was sacrosanct because yes. I'd run up from school and his best mate and I would always make them an apple crumble you know it was cr- crumble day. <laughs> Brilliant. I could call the shots more in terms of having flexibility. So I would really stress that with the right support, it is not just possible, but in my view, desirable to be a councillor and a leader and a leading councillor on a not a full time basis. I think that sounds great. I think that sounds really, really motivating because the the fact, well, from two reasons: one, that you can actually do it part time and do it well, which is great but also the fact that uh, you keep a normal life and a normal job outside of that so that you still have a reality check with the real world exactly right exactly I mean, 
I have a bee in my bonnet. I lived in France for many, many years. Um, and one of the things that really shocked me to do with the legal system, nothing to do with medical, but legal actually and political system, um, is that they go to the special university or equivalent of university to learn to be a judge or to be um, um, someone in politics. And they never actually have a real job. So mm. they have no experience of the world. They have no idea of the challenges, the problems, the ups, the downs, the you know business life, anything else. They just go straight into those jobs and they've never seen anything normal. And I just do not see how people can either judge others in a legal system if they've never experienced normal life or lead a country if they've never experienced normal life. So I think what you're saying is far, far better and much more intelligent um, for everyone to get the best of everything. Well, I don't know I, why more people don't do it. Well, I strongly, well, I have, a, I have a theory about why more people don't do it, but I strongly believe that to be the case. Actually, I wrote a piece um, uh, for New Local Government Network on, on the blog about do leaders have to be full-time? Yeah. And saying very clearly that in my view that was not necessarily the case as long as you get the the proper support yes. from the organization of course but you know I worked as a doctor uh throughout the time I was lead as a child psychiatrist now two days a week yeah um so I did I did reduce I and I I I, I did condensed hours and I worked very hard um I probably didn't sleep enough <laughs> two, three days. <laughs> But, you know, it is possible. And I do think that not only did I bring something about the nature of child psychiatry and child mental ill health into into my, my understanding of the world, because actually, yeah. you know, we know that some of the conditions in which children are brought up, um, it, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. And I could and I had some 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 understanding of of that. Yeah. Uh, but equally, I think actually some of my training, particularly my training at the Tavistock Clinic, um, actually helped me to understand much better something about group dynamics in a political yes. sphere yeah. and actually and, re and particularly thinking about the nature of relationships within teams thinking yeah. a bit about the nature of attachment and attachment theory all of those things actually I think it informed my politics for the better I have to say oh excellent oh, that's great and okay I know you're obviously very present and dynamic in the field of local government and in social activism so this is a pretty general question, but what do you see and can you tell us a little more about the changing face of local government and its role in democracy? Because it is changing, um, even since I've been looking at this, because I mean, I'm not a political type person, so my knowledge is very, very limited. But just from the, the little amount that I've looked into it, I can see changes are happening. So you who's involved in it all the time, obviously you can see much more so what's your your view well I'm less involved obviously than I was on the front line yeah but I have retained an involvement in a variety of different ways of local government and I have to say I'm a great admirer of local government again sometimes that's not a fashionable view um but I think we ignore the importance of democratic local government at our peril mm -hmm. because simply it is local <laughs> yes thing to say but I think it's really important that we all have some understanding 
of how we can influence the world around us. It might be in our block of flats. Yeah. It might be in our estate. It might be in the PTA school. It yeah. might be in the local park. It, you know, whatever it is. Actually, we know that lots and lots of people are interested in what goes on around them and yeah. don't like some things that happen or have ideas to make things better. Well, how do yeah. you do that? Well, actually, you give voice to that. You yeah. try and lobby for resource. And that is a political small P. I'm not doing that party politics now. It's a small P, but a political activity and often all the polls show the women inverted commas don't like politics and I kind of think that probably means the shouty party politics of prime minister's question time in the commons (laughs) but actually it's women who are involved at a local level in changing things which is about politics um so I think local government is really powerful as as potential for enormous there because it is it, it 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 represents place the place where you live uh, it stands for that place, yeah. you know, all the things that go to contribute that it's local history, the, the, the geography of it, even, even as one person said to me, the ge- geology, which of course yeah. is true, the yeah. culture, the different peoples that live there. It's a role of local government to, to give voice to all of those different voices, not all of whom inevitably will agree because we don't agree with one another. And yeah. so if you like, it's, it's, a, fu- it's a fundamental a pillar of government, small g, yep. how we govern ourselves and how we live together in society and, and reconcile our, our, our differences of view and get things done. Yes. And that we, and gives an expression to, to our voice. So I think the trends that we've had in the UK, certainly over the last century, increasing centralization into Whitehall is profoundly, profoundly mistaken. Because yep. it, it, it becomes more remote, become more disengaged, and inevitably, you know, not be, not because people in Whitehall are bad people, then they're, they're not. But you know, that the different places are different and require different things. So clearly, you need a national framework, and at a broad strategic level, of course, you need to have good government that recognises, you know, nationally what's going on and sets na- national frameworks and some standards. But actually, you know, I I'm very much in in the camp that uh, that we need we 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 do need to re- reinvigorate local government because yes. it has has enormous strengths now you know i look i look back at my time now and we thought we were short of money then but you know i really feel for local authorities now many of whom have had 40 to 50 percent cuts in their budget and that's Are really as much as that oh yeah absolutely oh, absolutely God. And and people have no no idea because actually you know when it's the shore starts sort of closing or the youth centres, uh, or that actually comes from that the costs of, uh, so, social care of course is the big one with enormous yeah. demand, and children's social care and local authorities quite rightly are pri- prioritising that because they need to do that but it does mean that everything else suffers yes. so I really feel for people on the front line now because it's really tough out there and yeah. yet at the same time it's incredibly important to the quality of life that we all can have yeah yeah I, I mean I don't I don't know enough about it and I've only moved back from France um, about six months ago so I really am out of touch but the thing that I feel is necessary and I think I'm I'm sort of blurring the borders between government and local government but I think the main focus has to be on health before anything, then policing and then education, Um, you know, with all the ramifications around them. And it seems to me that what's suffering the most at the moment, and this is very much a, a distant view just from headlines in the newspaper, 
and I think a lot of those aren't very accurate, but it seems to be that the, the NHS and everything to do with care and care of older people, care of people with mental health issues, anything like that, there just isn't enough attention to it. And I think that carries over into the community because I remember when my parents were first getting ill with Alzheimer's and things like that, we investigated all the, the different types of care that was available. And it seems to me that then, because we're going back 15, 20 years, it seems to me that then there was more support and more possibilities um, than there is now. And I know with policing, there definitely isn't the same as there used to be because it seems that police no longer come out to small crimes um, and education, I'm not convinced that a lot is being done to improve education. So I don't know whether I'm getting the wrong end of the stick with it, but it seems that those are definitely things that have suffered from the cuts. And those, I think, are also where local government could have at least an influence, not necessarily that they've got the funding to, to do everything necessary, but they could have more influence in promoting those type of things. But Am I... More than that, I think that local government actually has more than just an influence in promoting. If you look at the things you mentioned, but was it about health, police and education, all of which are incredibly important, I completely agree. Mm. But actually, major determinants of health, and I say this as someone who, who uh, you know, has worked in the National Health Service for all of my career, yeah. regularly until a couple of years ago, and I'm still an honorary consultant in a North London hospital. Yeah. Major determinants of health are not what happens in the National Health Service. Uh, you know, and I'm a great proponent of the NHS. Yep. Actually, the major determinants of health are all of those things that for which local government has a, a, a direct responsibility, yeah. albeit in terms not from a statutory point of view. It is about road conditions, about speed limits, about um, you know, the quality of the physical environment. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of things. Um, and actually, basically, it's, it's also about inequality, um, yes. which again, the local government can have a, an influence on. So mm. I, I th and in policing, of course, you know, I, we, we have known that many police forces have been uh, very significantly cut. But there's an enormous amount that local government and police working together, community safety partnerships, um, you know, the more preventative side of things. Yes. Are really powerful. And one of the reasons, of course, that we are seeing... Um, in, increases in in demand is a lot of that early preventative stuff early stage stuff has been cut short start i think yeah. it's fantastic introduction um and and that has been really paired down 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 to the bone so and then of course then you you are reliant on the services at the top end whether it's in the national health service whether yeah. it's in the criminal justice system um and and i it's it's profoundly profoundly short-sighted in my view you are listening to Anna Letitia Cook at Women Up Radio. I know you mentioned about women and women in politics, which obviously um, I'm very interested in that aspect. So do you think that the place of women in local government and politics is more accessible these days? And do you think women want to have more access because a lot of people say, oh, no, women in politics, blah, blah, blah. And they're quite negative about it. But I agree with your point that 
women really do have a lot of involvement and a lot to give. So what do you think is happening on that front? Well, in terms of elected political office, then clearly there have been advances over the last predominantly 20 plus years. I guess there have been advances. I have to say I have got, but I think there's evidence it's plateauing now. And I have got to the point at which I am really impatient. Um, so <laughs> I just, well, I just, and I've got more hard nosed about it, I think. I, uh, because, <laughs> you know, Everyone so, needs to take cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just, you know, so... And it's quite interesting because actually, if you look around the world, and the places where they have the best representation of women is where there are new systems. So at one point, yeah. I, you know, the, the, it was in R- Rwanda that had exactly. yeah. because it was a new system. You yeah. look at Wales, that actually when the, the Welsh Assembly was brought into being, the Labour Party, which is, is, I suppose, the dominant party in Wales, introduced a twinning system, which actually, you know, in 1999, produced 50% well women Welsh Assembly members. Whereas Westminster, of course, all that tradition has lots and lots of advantages. But one of the major disadvantages is it takes forever for anything to change. And and so so it seems in local government, it's never been more than around a third or so of councillors have been women. I mean, poultry 17% are leaders. I mean, I just, 17% of local authority leaders, directly elected mayors, there are seven of them, all are white men. Are really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, the major issue is not in election, it's selection. So it yeah. goes back to the political parties that actually, if you field women out there as candidates, actually some evidence they're more likely to win. Yes. Uh, but so we've got to the point where, you know, we, people have been banging on about this for over the last, there have been a succession of reports from the mid-1990s and probably before that, mm. uh, on on ca- candidate selection, representation of women, black minority, ethnic communities on local government. I chaired one uh, from 2007 to 2009. The Fawcett Society came out uh, with one last year. Excellent report. But actually, I kind of wrote, wrote a piece at the time. Deeply disheartening because we all come up with the same recommendations and everybody goes yes and nobody does anything. Oh, really? Um, I'm, I'm being a bit, I mean, I'm being a bit sweeping. But actually... You know, there's a great reluctance to bring about change. Yeah. Actually, I think that's, we have to recognise it's in ourselves, if you like, that we all, all of us do this. It's very easy. The tendency is to recruit in our own likeness. Yes. It's, and, and we have to recognise that that is perhaps a natural tendency and therefore very consciously reach out to find people who are different from us. Yep. And actually, there's a great reluctance to do that. And one of the reasons of great reluctance to do that, because, of course, is that turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So if you are currently in a position of influence and of power in order to change something, you have, by and large, got there because the system as it is set up suits you very well. Thank you very much. Yep. And it's not because people are malevolent or think this through at a conscious level, but actually, in practice, that's what happens. If you have been served well by the system in which you have come up, then why on earth would you want to change it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and part of that is it goes, it's um, work that I've done, perhaps we'll, we'll talk, talk about later, the research that I've done, yeah. is people don't want to let go. You know, I found it exquisitely difficult to step down from being leader of Camden. I loved, yeah. <laughs> you know, loved the role. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult to walk away from pos- positions of influence. I get that. I'm really sympathetic. Yeah. But, you know, well, I'm 
you just have to say your time's up yeah I mean I know well you've written a, a book about that losing political office mm. which I think sounds very very interesting because people rarely take into consideration what actually happens when somebody leaves political office so whether it's to the person themselves or the people around them so what have you learned from that what what happens how does it evolve what's the next step okay well what i did i was intrigued for all sorts of reasons actually partly my own experience but not just that i was intrigued at um, how silent <laughs> public debate is about when politicians uh, lose office so i'm just curious i yeah. assume there's big literature out there and i could just pull the literature together and learn from that and actually yeah. to my astonishment i found there was relatively little oh, really? um, I, I was really surprised. There was a bit of work on MPs from the Leeds group, uh, Kevin Feekson, and there yeah. was some work in, internationally. Most of it actually came from US presidents. And even then, it, it, didn't, it talked about what they went on to do, or not as the case may be. Yeah. But there was very, very, very little about what was that experience of leaving office like. Uh, and at a hu hu human level, let alone what, what the wider implications might be. So yeah. I conducted a research study, a kosher research study, where I conducted 41 interviews in total. I yeah. interviewed former MPs and former council leaders. There was no work. I had, and in fact, my work is the only work, I think, to date in local government. Former yeah. council leaders, former MPs, and who had left office, uh, yeah. and also a sample of those who were still in office. And where possible, of the former MPs and former council leaders, I, I interviewed their partners as well at the time when they left office. Yeah. And I didn't intend to write a book, actually. I intended to write an academic paper. Yeah. I suppose it was, there was such a mine of human experience that it grew and grew and grew until it became a book. And essentially what I found is that Nobody is at all interested in what happens when politicians leave office because actually excitement of, you know, the media spotlight, it all disappears. So people lose everything, yeah. often income as well, all that income, friendship group, status, influence, being the centre of attention, a structure to the day. And crucially, of course, a lot about their identity. Yeah. It all goes pretty much overnight, particularly if you're defeated and particularly if you're defeated unexpectedly. Yeah. And not all. Not all, but actually for both those who stood down and those who were defeated, so not just those who were defeated, actually there was a lot of grief. I mean, I use that word advisedly. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it, it is such a, such a the loss of all these things that are important to you, your values, your beliefs that you've cherished yeah. over years, yeah. mattering, and suddenly nobody's interested. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. not interested. Now, not everybody has that sort of a, a, a reaction for those MPs actually it was MPs more than council leaders there were some MPs who just hated being an MP and actually for them it was much more of a relief but for oh, council really? leaders yeah yeah but for council leaders all of whom the, the, the ones I talked to just loved the role and yeah. of course they often could manage it with other bits of their life but actually you know uh, it, it they really it was, a, it was a, it's a profound loss so whether you you know whether there were reasons to move on or not whether you stood down or not just have to acknowledge that it is a significant loss but of course yeah. nobody acknowledges that so particularly those who were defeated you know those MPs they were they were in, in kind of at the count photographed cameras flashing all over the place and then yeah. the next silent yeah. uh, often not always you know the national party leader there'd be no contact nobody would um 
would acknowledge that loss. Uh, it, they would sort of drop like a stone. I mean, out of sight, out of mind, literally. And of course, there's no, if you're an MP, then, or if, certainly if you're a council leader, there's no help in terms of how do you do CVs? How do you interview yeah. skills? What could you go on to do? Because all these people have acquired all sorts of skills. Yeah. Uh, which actually they could transfer into other roles, whether in paid employment, whether in civic roles. Um, But it's not acknowledged the sort of skills that they have acquired. And frankly, nobody is interested. And some of the council leaders and a lot of the MPs, particularly if they've not been senior, really struggle to find any job at all. So the idea that people waltz, you know, the MPs waltz into another job just like that and earn vast sums of money is completely erroneous. And that's borne out by by the studies as well. Uh, And for council leaders, particularly if they've done it full time, it's another reason why I think council leaders are ill-advised always do it full time. But nobody knows what they do. It's really hard for them uh, sometimes to get other employment, Um, you know, because they had all all their eggs in one basket. Well, it's just so sad. I mean, I'd never thought of that. You're absolutely right. Nobody thinks about it. Because don't even get the statutory minimum redundancy pay. Really? (laughs) Good God. So they are absolutely stranded in those situations. Yep. And particularly after spending however many years they've been doing it, helping everybody around them and doing it, you know, to help others. I mean, that must be a real kick in the teeth. It must be awful. Oh, exactly. I think that's, and that's how some people described it as a kick yeah. in the teeth. Yeah. Oh, God. Now, I'm, yes, well, I'm, I'm going to read your book now. <laughs> I have to say, it's fine. That's very interesting. Um, because a lot of identity, whether you're um, a council leader, an MP, or a director in a company or whatever, a lot of your your own psychological well-being is totally associated with your identity and how you see yourself. Oh, absolutely. So if you is very much like that. A bit like yeah. the army, the clergy. You know, quite a lot of people I talked to talked about is a vocation. And there's writing on that yes. as well. And it, it is absolutely that. And I suppose the other thing I went on to become really interested in is that, you know, so I found all of these things from a purely human level, how badly we treat these people, really, yeah. really badly at a human level. But actually, I'm suggesting that there are wider implications from that. that not only do we waste the skills uh, and the knowledge and experience of these people, which just seems to me foolish. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot that could be done in terms of promoting understanding of democracy. But actually, because of all of this, if we make it too difficult for politicians to leave office because it's too risky, yeah. you know, why, would, why would you consign yourself to oblivion in those circumstances if you didn't yeah. really have to? Then actually we make it too difficult to leave. And so you actually get people staying in office some people perhaps a bit longer than they otherwise might yeah and that yeah. of course then the whole system begins to silt up and you have less access into an MP or yeah. to be a leading councillor yeah. you know it's, it has m- many wider implications that I think we would be wise to think more about and that's yeah. an argument I begin in the book and then I develop in yeah. a paper that came out yeah. this year actually in British no, definitely because you you need movement you need new thoughts you need new energy otherwise it just gets too static okay can I just ask you obviously you've done a lot of research uh when you were doing the the book losing political office now in my mind I would think that there must be some kind of parallels occasionally between political leadership and also corporate or business leadership so 
does your research show any particular trends or specifics regarding losing office? And is there any way that you could compare this to executives losing their job, whether it's voluntary or they're, they're being pushed out? I think there are lots of parallels. Um, so, and as a result of that, you know, I did look at the retirement literature and redundancy literature uh, in the private sector and uh, in the public sector. And essentially, I think what we're, what we're looking, whether it's in the world of um, appointed work or in, in, in political office, is that jobs generally are becoming more and more specialised. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that has all sorts of implications because it means that particularly within politics, of course, then if you lose political office, it's more difficult to go back from whence you've come. So if you're a doctor, as I am, or a lawyer, uh, that actually the the world of law and medicine is becoming ever more specialised. So if you leave it for any period of time, then inevitably you are less up to date and it's more more difficult to go back. So I think there's a different... and you see in the corporate sector, I mean, the retirement redundancy, you see many of the same things and lots of the business schools, actually, you know, there's a, a lot of writing about the effect of retirement redundancy, not just on the individuals, but actually on the organisation as well. Yeah. But uh, for chief executives, there's some really good writing about you know, how hard it is uh, when you lose that job, suddenly, you know, all the same things that you no longer matter in the same way. It's seen as a failure. You're seen as tainted goods. Um, you lose the structure of the day. You lose your identity, particularly if you are a very busy chief executive working all hours of the day. And, of course, sometimes not seeing as much as a family as you might like to. Um, uh, so actually they're quite happy do, doing other things now when you lose your job and you need them most. So there's yeah. all sorts of per- parallels there i have argued though that that politicians have an additional um challenge in the sense that they have a very direct relationship with their electorate because they voted in yes and when they voted out then it is a very direct yes uh, we don't like you anymore but to some extent you know when when a chairman of companies or chief executives uh lose the confidence of their shareholders then actually again it's something about the nature of the relationship they're saying very clearly we we don't want you anymore we're not interested in you anymore. Just go. And that's very yeah. difficult for any individual to hear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you're very interested in what local government can do for the betterment of its place and what it does already. And I'm interested, particularly in women's roles within this. So local government, I, as I say, I praise enormously because I think it's it's something about the leadership of place. Now, clearly, there are lots of different in any one place. There will be business leaders, there'll be civic leaders, there'll be all sorts of other leaders. And and actually, the job in local government, I think, is if you like, you represent your place. You're the you have the stewardship of that place, and by virtue of having been democratically elected, you have more legitimacy from a democratic point of view, then perhaps, you know, the leaders of health trusts, the universities, the FE colleges, the schools and all the rest of it, but actually really recognising all of those other leaders in that patch, that actually there are, there are difficult problems that you can't solve just by a council and you've never been able to actually, that you do have to join forces with the other leaders in that patch, in that place, to really have a good sense of, well, what are the issues that we need to deal with here? Um, you know, both in terms of tackling 
difficult problems, wicked yeah. problems, both in terms of delivery of public services, about giving democratic voice to people, about uh, whether it's st- stimulating economic growth together with yeah. with um, so, social policy. Uh, so there's a great deal of, I think, that local government can do, even in these constrained times, actually, a great deal. Yeah. Um, and you even need to look at, you know, how different pla- pla- planning authorities differ to see actually what differences that makes to the physical environment and the social environment. So I think there's an enormous amount that local government still can do. It needs to be agile, needs to be responsive, um, but there's a great deal it can do. Now, women in that, um, I think local government is a fantastic opportunity for women. Yeah. From sort of a practical point of view, but also, you know, 50% of the population are women. And it just seems to me, frankly ludicrous in some parts of the country that we have cabinets that have either no women or very very few or as I was saying we have 17% women leaders because in principle it's really important and from a logistical point of view as well that actually you can organize things can be organized in a council um, such as to encourage women to be part of that whether they have domestic responsibilities whether they're working whether they're doing both yeah. now but it does mean that you people who are currently in positions of power need to do things like to go out and ask people if they'd like to stand because most people have no idea how things work at a local yeah. level they don't know yeah. quite what a, a ccg is a clinical co- co- commissioning group they don't know is that the same as a council is it different who collects it but yeah. you know um, and you, so I think there's a, a job to be by local government is actually some explanation. There's tons of information out there, but nobody actually joins up the dots. Yes. In your particular borough or in your town or in your village, how does stuff work? What's the responsibility of the parish versus the district versus the county? Why do we have all those three tiers yeah. in those places? Yeah. Um, so at the very first sense, for young people, you know, we have, we're lamentable in this country in terms of any sort of political education, small p. about how democracy works not about party politics but party politics are a part of that and explaining it in a non-partisan way seems to me really important so people need to understand how it works in order to first to put themselves forward but then actually lots of evidence that people who are less confident uh, that actually people who are in office currently say you know I think you'll be great as a councillor have you ever thought about that people who are active in TAs people active in the community have you thought about extending that a bit and then when they do get elected is actually making sure the conditions are right such that you can support that them in that role um you know, I was in one place which will remain nameless, but when it became a unitary, ha- having been a county and a district, they lost their fe- female councillors because all the meetings were, uh, that had been in the evening were suddenly put at four, four o'clock or, 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 or were put in the day. And I said, but hang on a bit, you have some choice over that. You can, you can, you can organise when you have your meetings a bit more flexibly. Yeah. And I was told, oh, no, 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 our members get tired by four o'clock. Now, oh, this is all member cabinet, all male cabinets. Now, you know, all, all retired is a proper, you know, is, I'm, I'm now retired from the NHS, although I'm not retired from work. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, it's really important to hear from old, older people and retired people, but yeah. not exclusively. What yeah. you want is a balance. And arguably, actually, in some places in London, we need more retired people rather than fewer because yeah. the balance is shifted to lots and lots of young people in their 20s. Yeah. I want to encourage more young people in their 20s, but you want a balance on any council. You want a balance of people of ages, of um, ethnic background gender different backgrounds in terms of class people don't talk about class but socioeconomic is really really important yeah um and you want to balance that is sort of more represents your lo- lo- local patch so 
any last recommendations or anything that you think should happen any last comments you'd like to make on the situation at the moment uh my only comment i think w would be we've stalled as far as women's representation is concerned from a political point of view and i think that's reflected i believe um uh, in the corporate sector as as well yeah and I do think there's a point at which people have just got to be a lot more hard-nosed about it. And actually, you know, I understand why people object to, for example, quotas. Um, but actually, sometimes you do need something quite clunky in order to bring about change. Or what yeah. they did in Wales, to begin with, that you twin the constituencies. One of the things we advocated was term, term limits. <laughs> yeah. Very long term limits for council as well. You'd have thought that the kind of world had come to an end, that we had the temerity to suggest that after 20 years it might be time to stand down <laughs> I just, you know there are some advantages you know some disadvantages in terms of it's not acknowledge that yeah um, but actually, if we could achieve that cultural changes people have that sense of you come into serving political office for a period of time and then you and then you go the more fluid system that is yeah. easier to access you're well supported when you're there but then crucially you don't make it the whole of your career you do have an association with outside life and you go back into whatever job or profession from whence you can Came. I think that would open up opportunities for elected office to a much wider range of people and that culture would be better just as you were saying yeah. is that people would have more connection with other worlds we'd open up the opportunities for more people to stand for political office which surely would be an advantage for, for us all it would benefit us all yes exactly Thank you very much. Jane, thank you so much for coming on the programme today. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you. And it's been really interesting learning so much more about public leadership, the evolution, women's place and the evolution of local government. So thank you very much. A great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'd like to thank our guest, Jane Roberts, DBE, councillor, council leader, chair of NLGN and medical doctor and hospital consultant for sharing her expertise on women in public leadership and the evolution of local government. I'm Anna Letitia Cook. You've been listening to us at Women Up Radio. Thanks also to Mara Guzel and Laura Martinez of UN Women's Empower Women for the wonderful work that they do to advance the case for women's equality today. And a big thank you to all of you who are listening in. I hope you've enjoyed hearing Jane. Please send in any questions or feedback to us. You can find our social media and contact details through our website, womenup.global slash radio. Women Up Radio, designed to facilitate women's empowerment. Improve your career. Develop your talents, incorporate your passions, achieve fulfillment and success.